when I was um, about 10 or 11, I have a sister who's probably two, two and a half years younger than me. And we were, I think we were at Walmart or Kroger or something. And I, and I, was, I was getting out of the car door this way and I thought she was going out the car door that way. And so I just got out and I just shut the door behind me. Well, she had her hand in the door front. Yeah, right. She had her hand and it shut on her fingers and it shut in such a way that it, we couldn't open the door. We couldn't unlock it. We, she was stuck. And we knew the only way to free her was to push the door fully closed so that we could then engage the handle. I know, right? It's like, wow, what a great sermon illustration to start. But, but I've thought about this. Think, think, think if we, my sister, picture, you know, my sister's hand caught in the door. The only way to free her was to inflict a little more pain. But what if we, in compassion, said, Pam, we don't want to hurt you any further. So what we're going to do is we're going to leave you in the backseat of this car. And uh, we'll bring a tutor to you. We'll bring you some, you know, hot pockets and microwave fish sticks that you can eat. Uh, we'll, we'll set up a TV for you to watch. You can get married and you can have children, but you'll have to do it in the backseat of this car. Um, and you can live a, a life here. You'd be like, no, oh, that's silly. Just push the door and it might cripple her hand, might leave some scars, but she'll be free. And so, you know, what we did, we pushed the door and thank God it did not maim her hand. Uh, and she now lives in Wilmington, North Carolina, has a boat, lives on the beach, has three wonderful kids, is one of the top real estate agents in all of North Carolina, married a PA, orthopedic. She's free. She's living an abundant life because she's not in the backseat of a car. And I thought about that story on so many different levels. But as we come to this passage, I, I wonder if we really believe this. And that's why I, I, I phrased this sermon Abundant life? Really? Like, seriously, God? That's what you're saying, is I can have life to the fullest? I'm not stuck in the proverbial backseat of my car? C.S. Lewis is famous for saying this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition and money and work and sport when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Mark and I were talking in the back and he pulled out a book that's called I Dare You. And the book was written in the 1920s and the, book, the whole book is I Dare You to live uh, a free life. I dare you to be strong. I dare you to be courageous. I, I, and I just want to say to you, I dare you this morning to take God at his words, to ask him to give you that abundant life that he really wants you to have. You're not stuck. Whatever oppression you might feel you're under, whatever you might think is causing you to be stuck, Jesus has an abundant life for you. And I hope we'll see that this morning. I say this in full awareness that many of you are in places of deep struggle and distress today. Some of you have received terrible news this week about your own health or the health of a loved one. So I know for a fact some of you have lost a loved one this week. You've lost a job, you've lost a friend, you've lost a relationship, and you can't see how God could really be good. Some of you are struggling in family situations, in job situations that cause you to have serious doubts about the life that Jesus is promising here. But I know that we all deep down long, Jesus, I want to believe you that you came to give us abundant life, but it doesn't feel much like that today. Well, I want you to lift your head up and listen to your shepherd, your gentle shepherd, 
uh, tell you he came to give you abundant life. So let's, let's look at the passage. Uh, you, you've got it there before you, or you can, you can remember it. It's a, it's, a, it's a memorable illustration because Jesus used something that was very relevant. But let me, let me anchor the passage in its biblical context, and then I'm gonna anchor it in, in its uh, cultural uh, context as well. So first, the, first the, the biblical context. Uh, the reference to the door, uh, the gate, He's, he's not in this passage directly addressing the end times or the eschatological ramifications of this. He's not saying that Jesus is the door and he's standing at the door letting in and out of heaven those who want. Though, those are, though that can be an application, what he's doing right here is something uh, very much more here and now. He's addressing a situation right now. And that situation was this. You know, this is John 10. In John 9, uh, Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind. His whole life. And instead of celebrating this miracle, and instead of uh, bearing witness to the miracle, the religious leaders put this blind man that he can see now on trial and, and put him through an inquisition. Uh, tell us if you were really telling the truth. Are you, are you crazy, man? And he, he's like, God, I don't know what to tell you, guys. I was blind, now I see. Well, they didn't believe that, so they called his parents in. And they send them through this huge inquisition. And so what Jesus is addressing here is these shepherds of Israel, these religious leaders who weren't leading the sheep to freedom and joy, they were bringing much more oppression on them. And so Jesus uses this parable to address that. Because you see, what John started doing in chapter 6 with I am the bread of life through John 15 with I am the way, the truth, and the life is what our call to worship was this morning. Seven I am statements that are significant. Because what Jesus was doing was he was employing the name that God had told Moses he was in Exodus 3. Remember the story. God's people are in bondage and slavery in Egypt. Moses uh, was banished from Egypt for murdering an Egyptian. And he has spent the last 40 years of his life in the Midian desert. And then God appears to him in the burning bush. And he says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to free my people. He's like... God, seriously, I am a banished man. I'm a wanted man. They don't want me back. The Israelites don't want me there and the Egyptians for sure don't want me. And you want me to go back and and free your people? Yes. Okay, if I do that, who do I tell them sent me? And God gave the famous thing. You tell them, I am sent me to you. I am. That was what he said his name was. And here, God in the flesh Jesus Christ says, before Abraham was, I am. Then he gives seven. You're hungry? I'm the bread of life. You're thirsty? I'm the living water. You want to you go to heaven? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he gives seven I am statements, making himself God. And the religious leaders could not stand it. So what he's addressing right here is these religious leaders who are bringing oppression to God's people. One other comment here, he's not, so when he talks about the thieves and those stealing the sheep coming in the gate, he's not referring necessarily to the prophets of old who were cruel, but again, he's referring to the here and now, but there's an interesting passage in Ezekiel 34 that's scathing about false shepherds. Listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. 
The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. I will acquire my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. And that's exactly what the good shepherd Jesus is doing right here is he's bringing this chastisement of oppression on the religious leaders. Look at verse eight. The, the verb tenses here tell us that he's addressing this. All who came before me are present active indicative. They are now oppressing people, confusing people, stealing them of their joy, stealing them of their love. So when Jesus is referring to the thief stealing, to the oppression of false shepherds, he's addressing the people right in front of him. This is confrontation at its finest. And then he uses an illustration that sort of (laughs) would be so clear to the people. And he uses that of a sheep and a shepherd. Sheep, last week in his uh, comments to Mark, at our installation service, one of our elders, Rick Endine, said this about sheep. Is Rick here? Yeah. This is great, Rick. He said, I think that I tend to have the hallmark vision of sheep. Fluffy, white, docile, cuddly, lovable animals that are gently, calmly, and delicately eating grass in lush green pastures. However, my understanding of sheep is that that is far from the truth. In reality, sheep are dumb, needy, dirty, prone to get lost, and need constant attention. Without vigilance, they are at risk of being attacked by predators, getting lost, and starving. They need to be led to food and water as they are unable to find it on their own. So friends, I'm I'm telling you, the number one reference to God's people in the Bible is that you and I are sheep. Cheer up. There's nothing heroic, really, about you. You're dumb, you're dirty. You, you, will, you will give yourself to all kind of false predators. You will, you will starve yourself. You, like, we just gotta tell the truth about ourselves. I, I am just a dumb sheep. But quickly following that assessment in the scriptures is always God is your shepherd. Because what sheep need are shepherds. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 9, when he was looking out over the people, he said, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. What the sheep need are shepherds. And what these religious leaders in this day thought was they were the shepherds of Israel, yet they were oppressing them. So he, Jesus begins to give two kind of illustrations about this. And the reason he does too, look at verse, uh, look at verse 6. John gives this interjection. He says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Because he gave them one kind of illustration about sheep. And then he said, okay, let me try again. Let me give you another one. All right, let me give you the first one. Okay, the first one here he mentions is my sheep know my voice. Or uh, there be a gatekeeper at the gate who will let the shepherd in. Okay, this is, this is what they would have understood. In an urban environment, when a shepherd had to come to town to shop or to take care of his, to get something for his flock, or to send them into the, to the uh, temple for the sacrifices, they would go to this urban environment where there'd be this large pen where multiple shepherds would have multiple flocks in there. So there'd be one kind of gatekeeper for that big uh, sheep pen. And so what Jesus is saying is, is when uh, Shepherd Will would come up, 
he would know, oh, that's Shepherd Will, and Shepherd Will would call out his sheep by name, and they would come. When Shepherd Mark would come, Shepherd Will's sheep would not listen to Shepherd Mark, they would only listen to Shepherd Will. That's what he's saying. Because I would come and I'd say, hey, Grumpy, hey, Wooly, hey, you know, whatever. Come on. And then they would not come if Mark said that. And what Jesus is saying is here, there's a bunch of shepherds who are trying to call out your name. Only my sheep will hear my voice and follow me. Two things I want to say to you here. One, Jesus knows your name. You're not a, you're not a number. You're not just some random person that he saved. He called you by name. He said, David, Carol Ann, Rhonda, and my sheep hear my voice. Second thing is, you know when the gentle good shepherd is calling you and when an oppressive shepherd is calling you. You know it because God gave you his spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's what our word says. And so what my first just exhortation to us this morning is, listen to the voice of your shepherd and follow him because he is gentle and kind. He will lead you to freedom, to waters, to green pastures. He will care for you. Do not listen to the voice of the oppressors. The second illustration he gives, so that was the urban context. They were like, I don't really understand what you're saying. All right, well, let me try again. In a rural context, when the shepherd had his own flock out, in, the past, out in, the, in pastures or in the hills, he would build sheep pens out of rocks and he would leave a gap at the beginning of that pen so his sheep would be in there and they're free and roaming around and there would be a gap. And what the shepherd would do, he would position himself in that gap. And even at night, he would lay in that gap as the gate. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, and verse 11, we didn't read this one, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. He literally, the shepherd would lay down his life every night for the sheep. No wolf or thief could get in because they'd have to go over the shepherd's body to do that. You ain't doing that to a shepherd. And no sheep could just aimlessly wander off out of the pit because they'd have to go over the shepherd. But, so by the shepherd positioning his body in the gate, the sheep were safe. What an illustration for our Savior who positioned his body. Does that sound familiar? The body of Jesus Christ, the protection, the defense for the sheep. What a good shepherd we have. And then in verse 10, he says, the shepherd comes, comes to give life. Abundant life. So for those of you who like to, to do your own Bible study, there's a, you, can get, you can do this online. Um, if you've got a, a Bible software like Logos or uh, Bible Search, you can also do it on the internet. Or you can get yourself a, it, it's, a, it's, a it's basically a word bank dictionary because all these Greek words that we have in the New Testament, they have, they have different ranges of definition, right? So one of, the, one of the cool things about studying the scriptures is to see what were all the possible uh, translations for that Greek word that we get in our English Bibles. And so I'm a big fan of looking at multiple Bible translations. So I use ESV, NIV, NRLT, NASB, because they're all trying to get at what was this Greek word trying to communicate, 
All right, so this Greek word, I'm not gonna try to pronounce it, but for what we translate abundant life, or some say life to the full, uh, or life to the fullest, what is the word range for that? This is so cool. First option, that which is extraordinary and not normally encountered or remarkable. I came to give a life that's remarkable, not easily encountered, not ordinary, it's extraordinary. Second option, profuse, exuberant, plentiful, overflowing. I came to give a life that's just overflowing with life. Not just little life, not just life in the backseat of a car, but life that is full with boats and beaches and kids and love. Third option, going beyond what is necessary. I love this one. Uh, uh, God gave us what was necessary in healing our relationship with him by dying on the cross for our sin, but he rose to new life to give us a life we never could have dreamed about, an abundant life, a life that is profuse. It's over the top. It's too much. It's hard to believe. Friend, do you believe that there is abundant life out there for you? Not just getting by, not just going to heaven, which is amazing, not just surviving, but thriving, excelling, exuberant, abundant. Before we kind of land on what this is, let me make sure we're clear what this is not. This is not a promise from Jesus that all will go well with you, that you'll drive a BMW, that you'll have 2.5 kids and live a white picket fence and have a great retirement. In fact, Jesus was saying this to a group of people who would arguably be the most persecuted and oppressed people that the world has known. All 12 of the disciples of Jesus Christ would die deaths connected to this abundant life. Do you understand what he's saying? This is not about circumstances. This is not about wealth. This is not about position. This is not about culture. This is about life, abundant. In fact, in Hebrews 10, The writer of Hebrews said that these people that would have listened to Jesus and his followers joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they had a greater inheritance. Many of you have sat at the bedside of friends, Christian friends who have struggled with horrible diseases yet maintained a vibrant faith. How is that possible? Because the abundant life that Jesus gives us is one that is free. It is detached from the oppressive things of this world. It is free. Let's finish with that. As I've I've prayed about this, the false shepherds of today, whether they're religious leaders or civic leaders or families and parents, the media, your own sinful heart, whatever you find yourself being oppressed by, they're trying to steal your freedom. They're trying to steal the abundant life that God is trying to give to you. They're trying to exploit you for their own benefit or they're trying to convince you that you can get abundant life somewhere else. Don't listen to them. Listen to these quotes from several commentaries. The true shepherd came to save the sheep, but the false shepherd takes advantage of the sheep and exploits them. The false shepherds can never lead the sheep, so they must steal them away. Look back at your passage. Notice what Jesus did here. It says that when they hear his voice, he goes before them. This is not a shepherd who's driving the sheep. He's not driving you anywhere. He's leading you. Hear my voice. Come on, let's go to still waters. He's not a driver. He's not not doing that to us. 
He's given you leadership. His sheep enjoy fullness and freedom. Jesus not only gave his life for us, but he gave his life to us. And then last quote. Scripture portrays the great shepherd leading his sheep into green pastures, beside still waters, pursuing the strays, keeping them away from the poisonous plants, taking them to the good water, making sure they have life and abundance, providing everything for their health. What is the qualification to be to obtain all this? Is it to be a brilliant sheep, a beautiful sheep, an energetic sheep? No, it's just to be a sheep that follows the shepherd wherever he leads, knowing that the shepherd knows what is best for his sheep. My sheep hear my, sheep hear my voice. This is critical. And so let's, let's finish with the, the idea of freedom. In verse nine, he says that these sheep will go in and out and find pasture. They will roam freely. Free from pressure, free from fear, free from burden. Why? Because their shepherd speaks to them and protects them. Let's talk about freedom. In John 8, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To be free is to tell the truth about yourself and about the world. I'm a sheep, I'm a sinner. If left to myself, I'll just run myself into a fire, off a cliff, into a wolf nest. I, I am a sheep. I am prone to wonder. I live in a world that is oppressing me, that is drawing me away from health and life. I'm living in an oppressive society run by oppressive people. That's the truth. Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. And do not be burdened again by a yoke of bondage. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, real freedom is actually biblical holiness. I'm not free to just go sin and do whatever I want to do. I'm free to be set apart. The anxieties and pressures and oppressions of this world, they're not mine. I have a free life. I have an abundant life. Why? Because Jesus set me free. The word holy means to be set apart. That is true freedom. To be set apart from this world's oppressive shepherds and led to abundant life by the true shepherd is the greatest freedom there is. Therefore, bring on oppression. Bring on cancer. Bring on difficulty. Not because I'll just happy-go-lucky and blissfully go through them. I will struggle. I will have difficulty, but I will be free. My shepherd will lead me. So let me read you C.S. Lewis's quote again. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with other things when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Most of us like living in the backseat of cars, stuck. Let's not do that. So I was trying to think, I mean, there's so many connections to how Christ did this, but the one that jumped out to me was when, you know, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves, right? I, I, you know, it's, it'd be hard to imagine a less abundant life type scene than that one. Three men being crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, it's like, Where's the abundant life in that? Where's the freedom in that? And as they're hanging there, 
it's actually one of the most incredible days of freedom. Jesus actually prays for the forgiveness of his betrayers and abusers. The two thieves on the cross, they begin to have this banter back and forth with the son of God. Who are you? you? You said you were the Christ. You said you were the bread of life. You said you were the door for the sheep. If you, if you could free everybody else, why don't you free yourself? Hey, buddy, why don't you be quiet? Man, he's, he's the son of God. Hey, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, will you remember me? And what did this shepherd say to that man in the most oppressive day the world has known? This day, you'll be with me in paradise. Hey, buddy, you're right. This feels totally oppressive, but I'm the holy one of Israel, and I have come to set you free. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also throw away everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Your gentle shepherd will guide you. Whatever the circumstances bring, listen to his voice and follow him. If the sun sets you free, come on, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that what we just declared, the promise you gave us, if the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. Lord, I know for many of us, it's hard to believe right now. We feel like we are stuck in oppressive things. I pray that you would pour out your spirit of freedom right now. That men and women would rise from this place today, believing the truth that they are free in Christ. As we come now to this table, that your body actually was laid down so that we could be safe. That we could be saved. That we could be free. Lord, help us to eat your body and drink your blood with fresh love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.